I actually hope to keep this episode super light. I think we won't even get too much into the technology of Bitcoin or the technology of the blockchain today, but really just talk about like, what's the mission? What is this technology trying to do? What's the problem that we're facing socially when it comes to money? And what is Bitcoin trying to do to solve that problem? But I think the most important thing that I would want people to take away from this episode is what is the problem that we're facing economically, as especially millennials and Gen Zers, and how can Bitcoin help? Welcome to Let It Out. I'm Katie. I'm going to keep this introduction extremely brief because I ended up spending about mm, the first 20 minutes of this episode setting up this episode. But that's because it's a little bit different. And by a little bit different, I mean pretty completely different from what I usually do here, which is interview someone and get to know them through a wide ranging organic conversation. Sometimes it's someone I know, sometimes I'm getting to know them for the first time. And I often bring people back like today's guest and we do a broad update and use the conversation as a time capsule for where they are in that moment. But today's guest not only is an old friend, we've known each other for nearly a decade. She's also been on the podcast many, many times, but this isn't an update. Rather, it's a topical conversation about a topic that we've never explored here and I'm intrigued to learn more about and there's no better person at explaining a concept to me than my friend Isabel. You might know her as a leading expert in the body positivity, body neutrality space. Her work has been seminal in my personal eating disorder recovery experience and I've talked about that many times on this podcast and she has been someone who's introduced me to a really wide range of concepts that have helped me so much, including intuitive eating and health at every size. And she's one of those people that I look to as a really trusted advisor and friend. And so when she told me she was learning about cryptocurrency, I was all ears despite being really intimidated by topics about finance and technology. And this is both. So here we are recording that conversation. We used my beginner's mind to hopefully record a non-intimidating introduction on this topic rather than talking about all the different elements. We really zeroed in on the mission and specifically what problem we're facing economically, especially as millennials and Gen Zers and how Bitcoin can potentially be a solution to that. If you want to know more about me and my work, stick around at the end. But for now, enjoy my conversation with one of my favorite people, Isabel Fox and Duke. I should have counted, but you have been a guest on this podcast more than anyone else. Did you know that? Over the no, years? but I feel so incredibly honored that like just made my entire day. Wow. What a treat. And you were one of my very first, I want to say three, four, like my fourth interview maybe. And that's oh, wow. how we first met. 
And since then, yep. we've become very close friends. So disclaimer. Yeah. But I we have a that- long journey. We have a long, <laughs> long journey. <laughs> we have a very long journey. And you have been, a- we've been along for each other's wild rides and lots of different scenarios. And you actually haven't been on the podcast in a really long time. The last time you did the podcast, I, I was in New York. So I think maybe 2018 or so. Does that seem right? That could be. That could definitely be. Yeah, sure. Twenty eighteen. It are... could have even been twenty seventeen potentially. It yeah, may have it might even have been, been as far back as then. Yeah, yeah. So I think. Yeah, it's been a minute, and we could very easily mm-hmm. look these things up on something called the internet, or we can just talk about it in this vague way. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> something like that. Back in the day, we did an, We did a few interviews. <laughs> it's well, been a hot minute. Yeah, it's been a minute, and. With but we talk to each other. We do a private podcast very, very often. We go on like really long walk and talks over the pandemic, inside the pandemic, outside the pandemic. And this is true. <laughs> we had a conversation recently where we're, you know, we're kind of updating each other about dating and work and let you know, nothing out of the ordinary. This is this is a pretty frequent, like couple times a month occurrence. And mm. we caught up. This is maybe like a week ago. And you start telling me something that totally blew my mind. And Hmm. I think is really cool, which is, you know, a new life area that you're exploring and inspired by and learning about. And since you are someone who is, you know, one of my favorite people in the world to talk to and ask questions to about, you know, you helped me make a choice about buying a car, when to text someone back, or like a lot of conversation around eating and body image, because that's, you know, been a primary cornerstone of your work on the internet over the years. And you Mm. are one of my favorite people in the world to explain things because A, you're very good at breaking down complex concepts. And I also have experienced your work both with me and other people as non-judgmental. You know, you mm. have completely changed my mind about one area, which is, you know, eating and, and body image and food and how we relate to our bodies. And that was probably one of the most sticky areas for me. Mm. And of all people, your work and you are the person who you know, has helped me so much in that space. And I think it's because you're very wise and articulate and empathetic and non-judgmental of beginners. And I can come in with a beginner's mind and ask basic questions. And not only just me, you know, I I am an I have experienced your work and I've seen you work with such patience with myself Mm. and countless others who are, you know, wobbling through understanding a new radical perspective in terms of the diet industry and fat politics and body image. And we're really gentle. And I have a totally new understanding because of you and your work. So, you know, having you as my, as my friend for nearly a decade, I trust that you're the perfect person to, Introduce me to this other concept that is completely unrelated to that. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? They're actually not that different. I feel like I found a new revolution that I'm excited about. Mm. And that's really exciting. 
I mean, should we, should we lift the veil? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anyone who's listening to this probably knows what we're talking about. I yeah, assume it's, it's in sure the description. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what we're talking about is something that is just like, I feel like on the tip of the tongues of a lot of people in our culture, a lot of people in our society, but that, you know, many folks are just kind of what, what is that? I don't really get it. Mm, sure. Mm-hmm. And that is cryptocurrency and specifically Bitcoin. And we can talk a little bit about the differences between Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency as like a general kind of topic. But Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency. Bitcoin, the Bitcoin blockchain network was sort of the like form, like the 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 number one first ever blockchain technology. Bitcoin has very specific properties that other cryptocurrencies don't have. And Bitcoin specifically is something I'm especially excited about, although I'm interested in lots of different areas of cryptocurrency, because it really does have very specific kinds of revolutionary properties in the realm of economic freedom and economic justice. And that's a topic that has just really lit a fire underneath me. And so I'm almost the way I felt when I discovered the body positive movement. You know, it's like when you discover this sort of new way of thinking about something that has a huge, profound impact on your life that you didn't even realize, right? You were blind to it. And then the veil gets lifted and you see something that has such an impact on your life that you didn't see before. And also you see new solutions, new ways of handling deep-seated problems in our society that we didn't have solutions for for so long. So I feel like they're connected in the sense of these are just two major revolutions that are solving really, really big societal and cultural problems. And I just am so pumped to be talking about it because I have gone full down the rabbit hole fall down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, very similarly to the way that I did fall down the body positive rabbit hole, let's call it 10 years ago. Yeah. What you said there, I want to pick up on something that I think is really connected to Let It Out and my work and the way my work has evolved over the last, you called it a decade, I'll call it a decade. (laughs) And that's about, you know, staying inspired and creatively fulfilled and challenged and learning and growing. And I think often we ignore that sometimes quiet whisper to shake things up and learn more or challenge ourselves or learn about a new topic. And Mm -hmm. it's easier to stay in the known or it's easier rather to stay in the successful, right? Like you are very Mm -hmm. successful in one topic and it's nice to Mm. coast, you know, it's nice to stay something that you're an expert in. And you, I really admire you because for so many reasons, but you're someone who we've had many conversations about this, you know, recently, like over the past two years where we, you know, debrief on work, we both work in very, in an industry that's pretty insular and solo. And so as much as you're my friend, I also like consider you one of my only work colleagues. You know, you're someone I can mm. I can talk about these things with. And I love that about our relationship that you can call me up in the middle of the day and we, you know, I can, you know, be a focus group for you about something you're working on. And I, I can do the same and ask you questions. And I think that's that's really beautiful. And, you know, really what what kind of sparked us talking about about this and this new topic, but you are someone who has done so much growing on themselves. And I think I said this to you last week, but you are constantly learning about new 
areas of well-being and communication and relationships that you know people might not know about you if they just know about your your work in what you've been yeah. most doing yeah. but it really made sense to me that you went down the rabbit hole with this in the way you just explained and then also just because you're someone who learns and grows and cares about the future and in this way that I that I really admire so I just want to like commend you on taking the gentle knock and going down the rabbit hole and learning and you know being open to talking to me about it who's I think and I don't mean to brag but I think I might be the perfect person to have this conversation and hopefully you listening can learn as well as I stumble through this conversation with you right now and ask very basic questions. And it might frustrate those of you who are more advanced in this. And I'm sure if you, you know, maybe you want to listen and realize how much you know already about this and great blessings. I'm sure you can find many more resources that are more advanced. And if that's the case, great. And if not, I if you are a true beginner like me, I'm coming in cold and I have a very, very basic understanding, but a very heightened curiosity because I'm a curious person and I trust Isabel so much. And when she told me this and she was like, hey, go look at my Twitter. It's like, and I was like, oh, huh, who knew? You're like totally a, a Bitcoin person now. And so I'm just going to briefly go through the bullet points of where I'm at with this and then just totally let Isabel flow. And we said our plan with this is to just see where it goes. And, I, and I'm going to ask what I'm curious about and what I need clarification with. But yeah. just for people listening, here's what, I, what I'm coming in with. So number one, obviously, like a vague understanding of hearing these terms in the culture. Like, I think everybody has that at least, you know, right. it's, it's around- like I've heard of Bitcoin, but like not really sure like what it is or what it does or why it's important. I think that's most people. I, I think I've heard statistics, something like 78% of women specifically have heard of Bitcoin, but only 9% would say that they understand what it is. And wow. so, you know, I really want to try to like that. That's my goal, especially like I would imagine most of the folks, you know, who are I don't know if your podcast is like a mainly female audience. I imagine yeah, that it is based it is. on what it was like in the past. But, you know, I think that there's a real education gap for women around tech in general. Um, I mean, that's something that culturally has been, you know, a challenge for, you know, since the the forever and ever. But this is such an important thing. Like the, I think Bitcoin is something that I really am passionate about educating, especially women about, and really, you know, really helping people who are completely brand new and have no idea, maybe never even thought about, you know, investing or finance or any of that, any of that, um, and really just kind of giving people a little bit of a breakdown about something that could have a very meaningful impact on their financial future. Um, based on you know where we are currently in uh, our sort of financial history and kind of what's going on economically right now that most people aren't aware of, right? So I just kind of want to... I'm super excited to talk to somebody who really is coming in cold because those yeah. are the folks that I'm excited about getting, you know, sort of giving the, getting this information, right? Like yeah. I want to get folks who feel like, oh yeah, I've heard of Bitcoin some, somehow. I know that that's like a meme on Instagram. And I want to help people really understand like what it is, what its function is, and why it could be very potentially very important for them personally and the people that they love. Yeah. And I hope this conversation plants a seed, you know, because like you said, yeah. as women, 
both finance and tech are things that I've just kind of like turned the other way. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to focus on creativity and art and chatting and conversation. I'm much more comfortable in those spaces. And mm. it's interesting. So, so the first part that I was saying is like, I've heard about it in the culture. And then recently, maybe like a month before my phone call with you last week, I was at a dinner party and, you know, we're all catching up. It was all women. And one of them, my friend Natasha, you know, just like kind of someone was like, oh, how's, how's your partner? How's, how's he doing? And he, she was like, oh, he's good. He's good. He's really into Bitcoin, really into Bitcoin. And then <laughs> the conversation turned and it, it, everyone sort of laughed in a way of like, oh, wow, <laughs> who knew? Right. You know? and, like, then yeah. I, and I was like, wait, tell me more. Like what you like, I was kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Cause I think she's really cool. I think her partner's really cool. Again, I'm someone who's very malleable if I trust someone and I, you know, decided that I want to learn, I lean in. And so that was my intro. And a lot of it went over my head and it's, it's something that, so then the, my, my next touch point is this podcast that I, I do want to chat with you a little bit about, but there was a Dax Shepard podcast a couple months ago with Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher um, talking about this topic exclusively. Yeah. And I, I turned it on a couple months ago. Cause I was like, Oh, interesting. Like let's, let's see what this is about. And I listened as I was listening as if I was listening to any other podcast on armchair expert, the sort of podcasts that I listen to, which are mostly, you know, interview based podcasts, comedy podcasts, things that are like this show usually. And this is why I'm bringing this up can be listened to while multitasking can be listened to while I'm cleaning or driving or whatever. And I turned that on with this one and, you know, the beginning, they're warming up the mics. They're talking about skincare. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. I'm this is great. And then they go into Bitcoin and I'm like, so confused, like moment, you know, 10 minutes past. I'm like, wait, what? I'm so like, I am so out. Like, and I turned it off. And so then yeah. today, knowing I was going to have this conversation with Isabel, I'm like, all right, I want to like not sound completely in the dark. I want to at least have some, be able to put some good pennies into your jukebox and ask questions that I think will be valuable. So I turned that on again and I tried to listen to it in the same way. And I was like, you know, this is something that needs to be sat with. And so I'm, I'm halfway through that. I didn't even get through it, but I, I listened to about half of that. There was another podcast on goop actually that I listened to like half yeah. through. Um, yeah. Gwyneth came out as a crypto. She yesterday, she on Instagram promoted crypto exchange and gave away like $500,000 worth of crypto to her Instagram yesterday. It was wow. Really interesting to see. I mean, yeah, the celebrity pile on is rapidly happening. It's really fascinating. But I thought Gwyneth Paltrow was a particularly interesting. Uh, you know, most of the celebrity pylons are people like Tom Brady and like Matt Damon is a big spokesperson for an exchange. You know, it's mostly male influencers, right? And and not small ones, right? Tom Brady, Matt Damon, I and mean, we're talking about big deal people, big deal influencers who are, you know, 100% committed to crypto and are putting their names and their brands behind different exchanges. But Gwyneth Paltrow was a very interesting one for me to see because she has a female audience, you know, primarily female audience. And she kind of mentioned in the post on Instagram, I know that this can be an intimidating topic. And this is something that we don't, as women collectively, we're not trained into talking about this kind of stuff. We're not taught how to talk about finance and certain, you know, finance slash tech. But she said, you know, the more I learn about this, the more, you know, compelled I feel by it. And I'm excited to share it with you guys and hopefully break this down. 
right? So I thought that was really exciting. And I, and I hope that I can contribute to that type of movement. Absolutely. And so between those like half podcasts that I listened to, I realized that this is a topic that for me is so out of my normal scope of understanding. It isn't going to come naturally to me. This episode that I want to record, and I'm so happy to be doing this on Let It Out. I'm so grateful I get to do it with a friend who I can ask these questions to and know that I will be met with, you know, non-judgment of it of it being yeah. so basic. And, yeah. you know, but I, I want to say for people listening, because of my experience with those two podcast episodes uh, and turning them off halfway through, <laughs> I want to mention that, you know, this is going to be a bit of a glossary. This is going to be denser than what you're used to hearing on Let It Out, what you're used to hearing in my previous conversations with Isabel even. And, you know, it's also us. <laughs> so, you know, we're right. going to explain it in terms right. of that. I'm going to make sure that I understand everything that Isabel's is going to explain. So therefore, hopefully a person right. listening will, I'll right. ask the questions I hope right. you're thinking, but I mm -hmm. also want to say, Isabel did send me one video on YouTube that was about 12 minutes long. And I watched it in about, it took me about 45 minutes, maybe half an hour to watch it because it was very basic. It's a beginner video. I'm happy to link to it. And we're going to cover, you know, hopefully some of the, what was in there, but I took three pages of notes on it. I write pretty big, <laughs> three pages of notes because that's how I learn. And some of you might be quicker learners with this and I'm maybe doing a right. long preamble because they'll just go, they'll right. get it, whatever. But for me, right. I had to like, that's how I slow down and make sure I don't multitask. So it right. doesn't go in right. one ear and out the other. So if you're right. listening to this and you usually listen while walking or driving and you just want something light, it's like late at night, listen to something from the archive and like cue this up for tomorrow with like a coffee, you know? I actually hope just if anyone who's listening to that feels a little overwhelmed, like mm -hmm. I actually hope to keep this episode super light. I think we won't even get too much into the technology of Bitcoin or the technology of the blockchain today, but really just talk about like, what's the mission? What is this technology trying to do? What's the problem that we're facing socially when it comes to money? And what is Bitcoin trying to do to solve that problem, right? And I think if people understand that, you know, from there, you can ask more detailed, we can get into more detailed questions about, you know, what is the technology? How does it work? Why is it secure or not secure or this or that, right? We can go deep and deep and deep and deep forever into programmer land, right? But I think the most important thing that I would want people to take away from this episode is what is the problem that we're facing economically as especially millennials and Gen Zers and how can Bitcoin help? Yeah, and if okay, you walk cool. away from this, if you walk away from this, kind of just getting that, you are ahead of ninety five percent of people, and you might be so turned on by it that you want to go do so much more research and fall down the rabbit hole. But that's my real goal for this episode: is just really establishing the problem that we're facing economically that a lot of people probably feel but can't really describe, and then why Bitcoin or how Bitcoin is attempting to solve this problem. Okay, cool. Now I'm like, la LOL, that I just kind of spent 20 minutes explaining why people should turn this off. And it's kind of overwhelming. <laughs> I can tell that you're like nervous that people are going to be really overwhelmed by this topic because it's an intimidating topic. But I am here. My goal, my number one goal is to explain this. And I think this is, as you said, why you had me on to literally take this down to like the most brass tax possible. Yeah. Like, you do not need to understand even anything about tech 
to really understand what I'm going to say. And I'm not a techie person. I have a very, very, very cursory financial background and investment background, but not a ton. You know, I'm really coming into this with the intention of being able to like explain this to, you know, a first grader. Well, that's what, and that was the first thing I asked Isabel last week. I was, when you first explained this, I was like, wait, 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 do you have a finance background? Like where, where did this come from? Why? That was my first question. And so can you start there? Yeah. So I have a little bit of a finance background in the sense that my family works in finance and I grew up in New York City, which is a very finance dominated industry. You know, grew up with lots of people who were just in the finance world. Um, my first job out of college was at a hedge fund effectively. And I, you know, obviously was just sort of in banking positions and internships and stuff when I was in college. Interestingly enough, I wasn't that interested in finance. I didn't like it. It was something that I thought I had to do to make money, right? It was something that I had thought I had to do to be successful, but I ultimately wasn't particularly keen on the lifestyle of working in conventional finance or traditional finance. Bitcoin, by the way, I would not call traditional finance at all. I have sort of a basic, you know, financial investment background, but very quickly in my early 20s left to go down this totally other rabbit hole of online marketing and sales and, you know, women's health and all of the things that people, you know, know about me now. Which is interesting. That's something that Christy and I often talk about, like just a quick eating disorder moment of like my friend, Christy Harrison, who's been on the, our mutual friend, Christy Harrison, who's been on the podcast multiple times. Like when your career is in a sort of malleable place and you happen to be going through it with food, a lot of us entered a career that we've since had to, you know, evolve to stay inspired or go in a different direction. And yeah, you know, it's interesting that that, you know, that's kind of the case for all three of us. Oh, 100%. And my career, I mean, I've evolved so much in the area of food and body and, and you know, moving more into sort of business coaching and, and professional mentorship and teacher training around disordered eating. And, you know, there's been lots of evolutions of my food and body business. But this really was something that I've really realized, oh, I need to be going in another... I need to be offering myself in this. And there's no way to attach it to the old business. Like I can't attach this. This has got to be a separate thing. This is now a separate thing that I'm entering into, but I am excited to use my teaching skills to do so. So without further ado, I feel like we're like, we're spending so long introducing this thing and not really getting into the meat of it. So I want to get into the meat of it, but basically where did you begin? Yeah. Where I'll start with is just actually not that, you know, long ago, I'm now 35 years old, which is like arguably my peak earning years. I've had my, you know, been in this business. I've done incredibly well in my business. I think relative to, you know, most people in the world, right? Like I would be a super high income earner for a millennial. And I had this sort of sense like I'm single, I live in a one bedroom rental apartment, like most people in my generation or, or, you know, not even. And I am very far away. You know, it didn't really, I kind of started to have the sense of, wow, I've been running so hard for the past 10 years. And I'm very, very far away from anything even remotely looking like retirement, like realistically anything that looks like retirement. And I sort of had this, I remember kind of having this feeling of, oh my gosh, am I going to have to keep running this hard? For the next, you know, 30, 40 years, right? Like how fat, how am I going to be able to keep up with this level of effort that I'm putting into making my living and still feel so far away from retirement when I am 
are very, you know, I think objectively at the top of the heap in terms of earners for my generation. And I sort of had this realization of like, what's going on that every our generation is having so much difficulty doing very basic financial things like buying property. Like we all kind of accept the millennials and definitely the Gen Zers kind of accept the fact that like, most of our generation won't own property. We're going to be the first real generation of renters. You know, the American dream is kind of collapsing. Most people in our generation will not own property in their lifetime, right? Which has historically been held up as this thing that every American should be able to afford at some point in their life. And that's no longer the case. So I sort of had this understanding of like, what's going on? Like, did I do something wrong? And, and, and I would go back and I, you know, I've been even investing since I was about, let's call it seven or eight years ago, since I was 27. I've, I've done everything that the financial advisors have told me. I've invested in, you know, just sort of mutual fund, index fund, that kind of thing, which is sort of the basic advice that you get, like just invest in the stock market, broadly speaking, and set yourself up for retirement that way. But when I really looked at the numbers, it just seemed again really far away that i would be from anything remotely looking like retirement and i sort of had this realization i just had maybe my best 10 year run i'm ever going to have in terms of work output and you know now what <laughs> and so that felt like a problem but i didn't know why that problem was happening right our parents generation didn't really have that problem our parents generation by and large we're entering into the workforce, you know, at record low, you know, stock price valuations, meaning they could buy stocks super cheap and they were going to grow like crazy, um, you know, over the next 30 to 40 years until they retired. They record low, they were entering the workforce at record low property valuations, right? So obviously there are tons of renters in the baby boomer generation. And I certainly don't want to, you know, make it seem otherwise, but for the most part, there's a there's a ton of baby boomers who own property. There's a much wider percentage of baby boomers who own property and who were able to buy property than will be in our generation or next upcoming generations. So what is that? Why is that? What's the deal, basically? And I, I mean, you'll appreciate this. I actually, I kind of knew that there was this sense of like something wasn't right, but I didn't understand why. I didn't really know why. People in the news aren't really talking about it. It's like, what's going on? No one's really explaining this to me. And I went on a hinge date with some guy who was really into Bitcoin. <laughs> I live in San Francisco. It's a San Francisco story. And he sent me a YouTube video by this macroeconomics investor. So macroeconomics means like big global trends of finance, not just like microeconomics, like looking at one company or, you know, smaller numbers of company, but like big, you know, global trends in finance, like looking at like currency valuations, you know, countries that were countries doing financially economic policy for sovereign state, that kind of thing. And I was listening to this guy on YouTube, and he basically explained that inflation is way, 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 way bigger and faster than most people think. People are starting to talk about inflation right now, and they're really freaked out because inflation, as it's as it's generally measured, as it's typically measured, just went from you know two percent to five percent. You know, oil and gas prices are going up, food prices are going up. People are freaking out. It's a big 
political thing right now. Just basically, our the purchasing power of all our dollar has declined. Right, for one dollar, I can't get a carton of milk anymore. Now, a carton of milk is four dollars. That kind of thing. Because um, the government, it, I learned. I just want to brag that I learned something from my very basic video, okay. video about inflation, which is, and I'm going to try this, and you correct okay. me. Inflation yep. is basically the government controls our money, right? Like yeah, completely, yes. completely. And so yes. they can just print more money, which yes. is a yes. bad, which is essentially inflation. Which and, is, yeah. yeah, which is the, so there's two types of inflation. There's what I would call, or what many people would call like good, healthy inflation, which is a rise in the price of goods because there's more money being made. There's more workers coming into the workforce, right? So when the baby boomers came into the workforce in the 1980s, there was a major demand shock. All the baby boomers, this huge, big demographic generation came in and were buying apartments and buying furniture and buying clothing and buying all this stuff. All of a sudden, you had all this demand for inventory and so that would be called like healthy inflation because it's a it's a demand shock that is ultimately like creating jobs and building the economy right so that's one type of inflation it's just like natural inflation that happens as a result of increased demand for goods but the kind of let's call it the I won't even call it the bad type of inflation because I don't want to go so far I think well I'll say the the type of inflation that we're seeing that's really creating big, 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 big inflation moves in things like real estate, right? Real estate's in some places up 25, 30% in the past year. That kind of inflation, these big inflationary moves that are happening lately are probably more likely happening because the government is printing money to fiscally stimulate the economy when the economy basically otherwise would be in an economic downturn, right? So this happened in 2008 after the credit crisis, right? I mean, we would have probably gone into a depression if the government hadn't printed a bunch of money to bail out the banks, right? You hear that term a lot, bail out the banks. I didn't really understood. I always thought when people said bail out the banks, like, oh, the government just has money. So they're just going to give the banks the money that they have. But that's not actually how it works. The banks invented money to bail out the banks. They had to effectively print money to bail out the banks, which means that if you have theoretically a million dollars in you know, the United States cash supply, and then you print another half a million, your dollar just decreased in value by 50%. So does that... Let me just stop there because that's really important. Does that make sense that like if the, if the government is printing money the what the value of your dollar is going down because now instead of you having let's say just to work with easy numbers if there's a thousand dollars in the world and you own one dollar you own one one thousandth of the wealth in the world yes if this, the government decides to print does that does this make sense it does but i think i want to go back because i watched this video that explained money and the value of money so if you can just like go back a step yeah. and Explain like yes. what is money? It, it's a major right. piece of paper that you know used to right. be salt or gold. It used to be a thing, and now it's controlled by people, which is something again. Right. I'm bragging that I learned from this video. But if you could get into that, I think it <laughs> might make the inflation thing more make more so sense. Or it does to me. That's that's a, a really good question. So I think like what is money, right? So 
money is basically it's a medium of exchange, right? So you know, back in the day when you have like smaller, you know, uh, smaller groups of people who you know, you know, in like uh, kind of like ancient pre agrarian times, they're just like kind of each doing different. It's almost like a household. Like I'll wash the dishes if you uh, make the beds, right? They're bartering, right? Effectively, like bartering was the first way that you know mankind kind of took care of each other and divided up labor to get things done, right? Once you start to have bigger cultures in society, you need some sort of medium of exchange that sort of helps you facilitate bartering, essentially. Because like, what happens if the person who is in charge of making the chickens really wants to get shoes from the shoemaker, but the shoemaker doesn't need chickens? Maybe the shoemaker doesn't eat meat. Then the chicken guy can't get shoes because they can't barter directly, right? So money, basically, they have some medium exchange. And historically, there have always been different types of meeting mediums of exchange used, right? Seashells, precious metals being the most common, gold being the most common. Gold was used as a medium of exchange, right? So everyone sort of collectively decided how much you know a certain amount of gold was worth or gold bullion was worth. And then you could use that as a way of collectively decided how much the gold was worth. And then you could buy things with the gold, you know, and sell things for the gold. And that replaced bartering. Does that, I, I, that's my somewhat inarticulate way of describing exactly what money is. Cause I, I thought that was very ever, articulate. And I, that, okay, helped. that makes the other thing make more sense, right? Cause it's yes. just made up. So therefore, if the government controls it and the banks right. control it, they can just print more. Because it's right. actually so, not anything. So it's very new that the government has fully controlled money the way that it currently controls money. So because we used to use gold, and gold is harder to print, it's not impossible to print because you have you can mine it. But generally speaking, gold is not something that the government can fully control as easily as just like literally like a paper money printer. There's still a lot of things that governments do. I mean, there are like, you know, the Roman emperor used to mix the gold with stuff to create more gold. And there were other, you know, kind of ways that people would quote unquote inflate precious metals to make themselves richer, essentially. But generally speaking, it hasn't always been the case that governments are able to just so easily control the money supply. It was only in the 1970s, Richard Nixon took the United States dollar off the gold standard. And the reason that he did this was largely to control the inflation, the quote unquote, you know, healthy inflation that was happening, although it kind of got out of hand where when all these baby boomers came into play, you know, started getting jobs and stuff, the, the price of stuff went so sky high that many people got priced out and couldn't afford things. So Nixon was like, okay, we're going to just go off the gold standard and we're going to basically you have the US dollar now be something that the government fully controls so that we can effectively adjust the economy like a like a dial on a like a like a rotary dial or something you know like we're going to be like oh it's getting a little hot in here i'm going to you know pump the money out or pump the money in based on what's going on in the economy to kind of try to stabilize it Right. So the government kind of has its hand on the dial. Today, the bottom line is the government has the hand on the dial of like how much money is in the system. And depending on how much money is in the system has an impact on your purchasing power, the purchasing power of your dollar. So you with me so far? Does that I'm make sense? You. I'm 100 percent with are you. We, yep. Are we on the same page, Katie? Yeah. So there is an argument for this being a good thing. There's an argument. There's a whole theory of economics. Most economics 
in like colleges and stuff is taught with this understanding that it's good that the government can control the money supply because then you don't have to deal with the volatility of economic markets, right? You don't have to deal with the challenges that come with free market economics, essentially, right? Because the government can come in and kind of save the day if there's a market correction or something happens in the financial markets that screw people over, right? There's a, there's a, there's a real argument, I think, for the government being able to do this, right? So it's not all bad. The problem is the government isn't always super trustworthy and doesn't always have everyone's equal interest at heart, right? Yeah. So Corruption. right now, so in 2008, right, exactly. Like in order, in theory, it would be nice for the government to be able to do this if the government is like 100% benevolent and always working in the favor of the people and of the democracy, right? But the reality of that is just unsurprisingly, right? I don't think anyone who's listening to this will will think otherwise. Sometimes governments are not operating in the best interest of the entire population. Sometimes the governments benefit some groups of powerful people over the masses. So 2008 is like a really perfect example of how the government, you know, used the dial on the money printer machine in a way that ultimately benefited corporations and banks over the people, right? So this is what we have. In theory, it's maybe not a bad idea that the government can turn these dials and kind of control the economy, you know, for folks. But again, that's assuming that the government is always operating in the best interest of the people, which as most of us probably already know, isn't entirely the case, right? Is often not the case. So 2008, what you have is the government, you know, the economy is basically collapsing because these big giant corporate banks did a bunch of really terrible, horrible stuff that we don't need to get into. We're wildly irresponsible with billions and billions of dollars. And instead of, there are a lot of ways that the government could have played their cards here, but the way that they chose to play their cards, and I think that there are more responsible ways that they could have played the cards to benefit, again, the general masses, like the average people, average American citizens. But the way that the government did choose to play their cards was they were like, okay, we're going to turn the money printer on and we're going to pay all the bank's debts. We're going to bail out the banks. So the banks got this huge payment, even though they were the ones doing the irresponsible things that screwed people over. The banks get paid, not the debtors and all of the people who the banks were screwing over in the first place. The banks get paid out, right? Which is like screwed up in and of itself. It's like the banks get saved, not the people who are being taken advantage by the banks. But then beyond that, what's extra screwy about it is that now... There's all this extra money in the money supply. So if you just had a regular savings account in 2009, the value of your dollar between 2009 and 2011 went down because all of this new fresh cash was in the money supply, which means by, by definition, each individual dollar is worth less. Hate <sighs> this. Take that in. Take that it. in, right? So this was something that really pissed me off when I learned this because after 2008 happened and there was this, you know, market correction kind of very temporary crash, right? I thought to myself, wow, the stock market's so risky. I'm not going to invest in the stock market. I'm going to keep my money in a bank where it's safe. Little did I know that my money sitting in the bank is actually 
losing its value by the moment as the government keeps printing, right? You, I actually should have been more aggressively invested throughout the entire, you know, late 2000s up till now. I should have had everything in the stock market because the stock market wasn't ever going to stay down for very long because the government was just going to keep printing money to keep propping it up and keep saving the corporations. And that's basically what we've been seeing ever since. We've never really had a serious economic downturn since the, you know, early 2000s because the banks just come in and print money and save the corporations. And so if I had been if I had understood this, I would have had all my money in the stock market. But most people don't realize this. Most people think the safe thing to do is to hold cash. Most people think that's the safe thing to do, right? The stock market is risky. I'm going to hold as much money as I can in cash, right? The reality of the situation is for the past, let's call it 25 years, right? Holding cash has actually been much riskier than having your money in the stock market because the stock money stock market keeps getting bailed out by the money printer machine, aka the United States government. And every time they do that, the value of your money in the bank goes down. You are losing money by having money in your bank account. Now, a lot of people kind of sort of understand that in, when you ha- keep money in your cash in your bank account, you're losing money to inflation. What most people think that number is, though, is is like not that significant. They're like 2%, 3% a year, whatever, no biggie. The reality of the situation is, is that it's actually much higher than that when you take into consideration the purchasing power of things like real estate or hard assets, right? So the purchasing, there's maybe been like right now we're having a wildly high 5 to 6% interest rate on actual consumer goods, things like food and gas and those kinds of things, like just normal things that you buy for your house. That's called the consumer price index is like, how high is the price of goods in a goods basket for your house kind of going up? How fast is it going up? But when you take into consideration things like real estate, which since the 1950s, people have said, oh, if you really want to buy wealth and retire, you got to own property, right? If you take into consideration the price of real estate, real estate is going up a lot faster than 2% a year. Assets like gold, right? Gold is now off the gold standard, but a lot of people kept owning gold because they knew that gold couldn't be inflated and that it would retain its value better than the dollar. Gold, the price of gold has gone up substantially relative to the United States dollar. So before I continue, I'm just going to do a temperature check. How is everyone feeling? Is everyone kind of maybe? Um, well, I'll speak for okay. everyone. <laughs> speak for everyone. Yeah. I'm feeling good. <laughs> I'm learning a lot. And I guess my next question, I mean, I'm sure you have another direction to take us in, but my next mm. question is like processing this. Cool. Mm-hmm. How does Bitcoin help with this? This sounds like a nightmare. You know, this yeah, it's like, a nightmare. So, so how this does is a nightmare. Bitcoin help? I'm really excited about today's sponsor, Everly Well. They can help you get more clarity and understanding about your body and your well being with their at home lab test. They have over 30 of them. And I just got one. I'm really, really excited. I'm going to learn about my thyroid and my hormone levels. And I think it's going to be really interesting. It's something that I have wanted to get tested and know more about. And here we go. I'm I'm going to let you know exactly what I find out 
With over 30 tests, you'll be able to choose one that makes the most sense for you. So they have a metabolism test, sleep and stress, thyroid test. There's obviously so many more options. So here's how it works. Everly Well ships you your at-home test straight to you with everything you need for a simple sample collection using the prepaid shipping label that they also give you. You just mail back the test in a certified lab reads it. In just a few days, your physician-reviewed results and actionable insights are sent right to your device. And you can share those results with your primary care physician to help guide the next steps. It's really, really easy. And over 1 million people have actually trusted Everly Well with their at-home lab testing, which is really, really cool. I'm excited about taking this test. I'm gonna let you know my experience. I have it right here. It was super simple. It came right to me and I'm really grateful and I'm excited to hear what you think of your experience with Everly Well as well. And speaking of, for listeners of the show, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash let it out. That's everlywell.com slash let it out for 20% off your at-home lab test. Everlywell.com slash let it out. I could not be more excited about Thrive Market, an online membership-based market on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. They're sponsoring today's episode. It's incredible. They'll deliver to you exactly what you need so you don't have to spend time at the grocery store and it comes right to you. They carry all of your favorite brands so you don't have to clean out your wallet. They come at a price that is more affordable. You can shop everything from ethically sourced pantry essentials to sustainable meat and seafood and non-toxic cleaning products and beauty products. I just got an order and I'm going to put this on my Instagram story as well, but I ordered my favorite tinned fish that they carry. I got myself some new probiotics, which I really, really love. They are also stress supporting and seem to really be helping. Also, the seaweed snack that I really love called Chompers. They're so expensive at the grocery store and I just bought a bunch on Thrive Market. They also carry my favorite miso. I couldn't love them more. I got some new shampoo. I just love Thrive so much. They have everything you need right there. You just order it. It comes so beautifully packaged. And what's really cool about them is they have really high quality standards and everything that they carry, they carefully vet each of those items so you can trust that it's the best. I really, really love it. And it saves me a lot of time to not have to shop. It just comes right to me and it's really, really great. So if you want to shop by a certain product variation, they have a zero waste option. You can shop their BIPOC brands, which is really, really cool. So you can use these little filters and it makes it even easier. Last but not least, Thrive is organic groceries that give back. When you join, they donate a membership to a family in need and $4.5 million have been donated in healthy groceries and counting. They are also carbon neutral on shipping and on a mission to be the first climate positive grocer. That's very, very cool. Can your grocer do that? Now it can. 
when you go to thrivemarket.com slash let it out. Join today and get 40% off your first order and a free gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash let it out and get 40% off your order and a free gift. Thrivemarket.com slash let it out. We're all really inundated with email right now. At least I am. And it's no longer about responding to everything. It's about responding to the important things, the messages that truly matter. And that's where SaneBox comes in, today's sponsor. Think of it as EMT for your email. So as messages flow in, SaneBox does some triage for you, sifting only the important emails into your inbox and directing all the other distracting ones into your sane later folder so you know which messages to pay attention to now and which ones you can get to later. It also has a lot of really nifty features like the sane black hole where you can drag messages from annoying senders that you don't want to hear from again and sane reminders to ping you if someone hasn't replied to your email by a certain date. That one's really helpful for me. And best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email client or phone anywhere you check your email. You don't have to make a new thing. It's really, really easy. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Try it completely free. Visit SaneBox.com slash let it out today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's SaneBox.com slash let it out. So this is what how, how Bitcoin helps. So I already just sort of like loosely mentioned gold as basically gold has historically been continued to be after we went off the gold standard, people still were like, I'm still owning gold. I'm still keeping bars of gold like in my basement. Most of the gold on the planet is owned by governments, is owned by sovereign states, right? I mean, people just hoarded gold even after we went off the gold standard, because they knew that gold would be harder to inflate, right? Harder to, and that therefore gold would hold its value relative to the US dollar, generally speaking. And it's true. Gold has, you know, over time, basically, I don't know if it's outpaced inflation, but it's definitely kept up with inflation for the most part, right? So gold is this thing because it's not as inflationary as the government money printer, a lot of people decided to just buy, a lot of rich people decided to buy a bunch of gold as a way to store their wealth, right? I hold my wealth in gold rather than hold it in United States dollars because if the United States dollar gets inflated, gold will just go up in price relative to that inflation. You with me so far? Does that equation make sense? Because that's an important thing that I want to make sure you get before we continue down this road. This concept of store of value, this idea that like if the money printing machine keeps printing dollars and the value of my dollar goes down, the value of my Rolex is going to go up or the value of like hard resaleable assets is probably going to go up because those things aren't going to have, aren't going to have the crazy supply shock, right? Like that the dollar just has, had, right? Like, exactly. Like if you print a billion dollars, yep. that doesn't mean like a billion more re- Rolexes were made that day. It just means the price of the Rolex is going to go up. 100%. Okay. With you. You're with me there for, right? So yeah. like if you have like the Hope Diamond and now the purchasing power of your dollar just went down, 
and there's a bunch more money in the money supply, the Hope Diamond isn't going to stay the same price. The Hope Diamond is just going to get more expensive. That's what's happening to real estate, right? Right. When and this is in- true for anything like cars. This is true for you know having your having your money in assets is better than in your bank account, correct? scarce assets. So like a Rolex isn't a perfect example because like in theory, like Rolex could like up the supply of Rolexes, but they're still constrained by, you know, the mining of precious metals. Mm -hmm. So land real estate is actually the best example because that's much harder to inflate, right? Like it takes a lot of time to like develop buildings and stuff. And there's certainly a limited supply of land on like the island of Manhattan, for example. Like the island of Manhattan is pretty scarce, pretty finite. There's a bunch of new money going into the money supply. All that's going to happen to you know real estate prices in Manhattan is everything's just going to go up in price. Okay, cool. With Does you. that make sense? 100%, so scarce. Yeah. So so really, what we're talking about is when inflation happens, you want to own scarce things where yeah. where the the supply is going to get choked out, basically. So other than property, homes, you gave the example of Rolex. What are some other precious metals, precious metals and real estate are really big ones. Um, I I think none of those things. I have none of those. Exactly. Who does? So Mm. this is where Bitcoin comes in. That is exactly what I wanted you to say, because this is where Bitcoin comes into play. Who the hell in our generation owns gold? Owns and a I have bunch no desire gold. to. I live in a very small rental apartment. Exactly. <laughs> you got it, Katie. Right? Like, this is not practical. Like, there's no egg, there's no entry opportunity for most people in our generation to get into real estate, unless you want to like move to the middle of nowhere. And even yeah. then, a lot of people can't afford that. Right. So if you can't afford property, what do you do with your money to fight this inflation problem? Like, where do you put your money? Where do you park your money? You could park your money in the stock market, which as we've already established is going up as a result of inflation, but it's sort of like a burning building that's being propped up by inflation. By definition, the reason we're inflating is because the stock market should be going down. And so we're trying to not have it go down. So we're inflating it just enough to like keep it not going down kind of thing. So it's not, it's not ideal. Not right now, at least. Where do you put your money? Where do you put your money? What scarce things can millennials, especially, and Gen Zers, especially buy? What can we afford to buy that's also practical to own? And that we have a, and that, you know, that again, has a cheap enough entry point. Yeah. Enter Bitcoin. Enter right. Bitcoin. Now I'm remembering <laughs> this is how we started talking about this in the first place because I had had a call with my accountant. And to be very honest, I was like, wow, I made so little money and I, I don't have, you know, I have some savings, but nothing even close to being like conceivable for me to buy property anytime yep. in the near future. And, you know, I was just kind of sharing with this vulnerably with my friend. And then that's kind of what you, you know, you explained a little bit about where you are in this. And so enter Bitcoin. Tell us more. Enter Maybe even de- de- start by defining it, like so, basic level. So Bitcoin, I mean, you you can think of Bitcoin as essentially Bitcoin was engineered digital property that in many ways replicates a lot of the properties of something like gold in the sense of, of like, it's the store of value thing, right? It's this thing that I can own that will, in theory, hold its value regardless of inflation. So 
Oftentimes, Bitcoin is called digital gold. And I want to I break this down because there's a lot going on here about like what are the principles, what are the characteristics of Bitcoin that make it what you might call sound money. Sound money means money that holds its value relative to inflation that really can't be altered by governments, essentially. Bitcoin is, there's a few different properties that Bitcoin holds. So Bitcoin is digital property, which means it's really easy to move. You don't need to have tons of gold bars in your apartment. You could have millions and millions of dollars of Bitcoin on a hard drive in your underwear drawer. So that's something that's very unusual in terms of like being able to actually store, being able to Great store for the minimalist. Money. <laughs> the Great for the minimalist. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it has a lot of properties of gold. A lot of people call Bitcoin like gold 2.0 because it's like it does what people are trying to do with gold in terms of like a hedge against inflation, but it's much significantly more practical. It's more divisible, right? I mean, so like, for example, if I wanted to pay you, if I wanted to give you $20 of Bitcoin, I just, you know, literally open an app on my phone and send you $20 worth of Bitcoin. If I have a gold necklace, I can't do that. If I have gold bars in my apartment, I can't give you $20 worth of my gold bars. And it's even less inflationary than gold. And this is the key thing. This is the number one thing that's really important to understand about Bitcoin. That is like the ultimate reason why Bitcoin is a truly anti-inflationary asset. It is, it is digitally engineered. There are only 21 million coins, Bitcoins in the world, and they cannot be created. No more will ever be created. right? So gold can still be mined, theoretically. Yeah. You can still mine gold. It's not easy. It's not great for the environment, but like you in theory can still do it. There will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin on the planet ever. There were only 21 that were ever created. They cannot be copied. You know, people have been trying for 12 years. No one's done it yet. It just gets more and more secure as the network grows and as this technology develops. You cannot copy Bitcoin and it cannot be created, right? So if you own, you know, even one Bitcoin, if you own one full Bitcoin, in a land where Bitcoin becomes the sort of new global reserve currency, you'd own one 21 millionth of the wealth on the planet. And that could never change regardless of what that meant in terms of dollars. Cool. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people call this like generational wealth, right? Like, yeah. you know, one Bitcoin, if I have one Bitcoin and I have it throughout my life, I can give it to my children. They can give it to their children and their children and their children. And no matter what's going on with the United States government money printer, it will always be worth the same amount in relative terms, in terms of actual purchasing power. You with me so far? I'm with you 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So this 21 million number, in my opinion, is really like the most important key thing of yeah, why where does this, this come from and who, who decided on that figure? You know, this is like really one of this is where Bitcoin becomes this sort of like magical, weird entity, revolutionary, crazy thing. So Bitcoin, we don't know who invented Bitcoin. The people who invented Bitcoin, the programmers and cartographers and sort of engineers that just, that created Bitcoin did so anonymously under the name Satoshi was, Nakamoto. Oh, okay. I was going to say, who's that guy? So this is an anonymous We don't even know paper. if he's a guy. We don't okay. even know if he's a guy. We know that that's the name, the pseudonym, but we don't even know that it could be a group of people. It could be one person. It could be a woman. 
Okay. It could be multiple women. Okay. So this, we have they, no idea. They then, we don't know who this person is. Person, yeah. entities, whatever. This was yeah. in 2009. Cause you mentioned 12 years yes. ago. And, and that's something that I want to pick up on too, because like TikTok, for example, I see that it's going to be around for a minute, but I, with Bitcoin and similarly with TikTok, I was like, you know what? I don't need another thing to learn. I'm going to just opt out. This was maybe like five years ago. Or I don't know if TikTok's been along that, around that long. But you know, there have been a lot of things that have come and gone like AOL or Periscope or whatever. And I was just like, maybe this will be one of those things. But it has been, you know, podcasting could be one of those things, right? Like mm-hmm. things come mm-hmm. and go. One of the things that is making, I think that what you were mentioning at the top about celebrities getting involved in this, I think that, you know, shows it's, it's sticking around. I think you, you mentioned when we were on the phone last week, Reese Witherspoon had posted like on her Twitter that turns out Bitcoin's here to stay. Yeah. Reese Witherspoon. I remember she posted about a different cryptocurrency, but yeah, I mean, Reese Witherspoon is clearly a crypto person. Kim Kardashian is a crypto person. I mean, Kanye and Kim Kardashian are, are, definitely holders. I'm fairly confident are holders of Bitcoin. So um, with all yeah. this, I just want to say, even the, even this very basic video that I watched, I was like, oh, cool. This new, I'm so happy this exists. And I looked at the date. It was from 2018. In 2018, I had no idea. So, I mean, this has really, I'm getting to the point where it's like, I feel like a very late adopter. And it's funny because I think I feel that way too, because I really only got into Bitcoin in the past year. I think a lot, everyone feels like they got into Bitcoin too late. In five years, you won't feel like you got in too late. In five years, you'll feel like you got in early. Okay. So what do I do? And I mean, this is what I said to you <laughs> last week. I was like, okay, cool. I trust you. Can I just okay. like transfer some money to you and you like okay, handle so f- this? <laughs> first of all, because this is a public podcast, I'm going to say, don't <laughs> trust me because I am not a financial advisor and this is not disclaimer, my duty. Disclaimer. Yeah. Like, okay. I'm like, do your own research. Like this is, I'm just sharing my layman understanding of what right, I know. Right, right. Of course. And, and I'm none saying, of this, right. Yeah. I'm right. just saying that I but like I if tend to you want yeah, where do we begin? You, if you decide that you want to own Bitcoin, right? If you do more homework, and we could probably do a whole other episode and go deeper into this conversation. But if this conversation has sparked your interest and you go down the rabbit hole and want to learn more about Bitcoin and you decide that you want to buy Bitcoin, it's literally as easy as downloading an app on your phone, connecting it to your bank account, and buying some. We, I'll speak for all millennials. <laughs> We love yeah. an easy bank app. We we, we love a bank it's app. It's like go to find boyfriend. We click on this app, go to banking, click on this app. And, you know, I think that the ease of this and the, exactly. you know, it, it's, this is, I'm learning. A lot easier than buying gold bars and storing them in your studio yeah. apartment, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, come on, yeah. right? Yeah, right? So this is this, really cool. This is why this technology is important is because it is, in my opinion, democratizing anti-inflationary hedges that usually are reserved for very rich people. And now random you El Salvador people in, you know, Latin American people in, 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 you know, countries where they're fleeing and they, you know, have to like leave with a backpack and nothing else are leaving and they have Bitcoin on their app or in their hard drive in their backpack, you know, and they can take all their money with them on Bitcoin. Right. Even if the government has seized their bank accounts, they can take their Bitcoin with them. Because the government doesn't have any jurisdiction over Bitcoin. Think we about that. Go, yeah, this is <laughs> wild. I mean, here's the thing. We could go in a million different directions. And I do want you to come back and do a follow-up to this. But I think yeah. I'd like to ask just like 
two or three questions that I would like to walk away with, with knowledge of this for, Okay, because sure. something that makes me feel gives me a little bit of confidence and self-worth, honestly, is like knowing enough about a topic that I feel like I could talk about just like one part of it. Right. So yep. here, here are a couple of questions that I have. Like number one, I'm curious, like if I was to, I have an uncle who is a finance guy. He's done very well in the stock market. He had many businesses. He retired pretty young. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm curious. I haven't talked to him about this or like my accountant or my, you know, whatever. What are some, if I was to have a conversation with someone about Bitcoin, who's in a different generation, who's maybe, you know, comes in with a perspective that sort of Dax did in that, in that podcast, that's like Mm. apprehensive. Like what are some main objections to this? Cause to me, I'm like, I'm in where I'm going to put all my money in right now. Like I'm right. Right. I'm done, (laughs) which is a very millennial attitude in many ways, which is why so much of this Bitcoin revolution is happening with millennials. We're not scared of technology the way I think people often more baby boomers are, especially when it comes to something like money and finance. You know, it's interesting because I mean, I could talk to you about the a lot of concerns that come up. I think that Bitcoin has really solid arguments to... It's kind of like health at every size. It's like we could talk about all the things that people say that are like, oh, but what about this? And what about that? I feel like Bitcoin has an argument to handle all of those objections. You know, I haven't... I have not personally come up against a real true objection that really concerns me about Bitcoin in the long term. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but I have not come across one. But I think that there are all sorts of concerns that people have when you're talking about a new technology that really has the potential to be so disruptive to like the fabric of our society, which is how the United States dollar is distributed. So it's like a big deal. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of, it's like a health at every size level, maybe even a bigger than a health at every size level for folks who know what that is kind of uproar. Sure. Yeah. And I think this is really interesting as a, like, it's not something that you can, we could do a whole episode on that. And maybe we, we could will. do a whole episode just here, on objection. Here, I'll actually yeah. link, I'll send you a link of uh, a Bitcoin influencer who I really respect this guy named Dan Held. He is great on YouTube. You should check him out on YouTube, but he just did an interview with somebody where they literally just went through objections. And well, so, like, I can link to that in the notes. But yeah, I mean, we could, we could go. I mean, we some should just do too. it because I would like it from Dan Held. I'm sure is lovely, but I would love it from <laughs> you at some point. Um, All right, but but we'll do that. But I think another just having this knowledge, I think, is really like I feel like I could go into a conversation just with this. But something that you alluded to at the beginning is the social justice issue, and you it makes sense a little bit with what you were saying about you know El Salvador and and you know people having. Yeah autonomy, but could you just get in there a little bit more? So this is an equal opportunity currency, right? This is an equal opportunity, not even currency. This is an equal, because I think actually it's better to not call Bitcoin a currency. It's actually better to call it an asset, a crypto asset. And there's reasons that we can get into about that, but this is an equal opportunity investment. You can buy a dollar worth of Bitcoin, right? There's no, you don't have to even have a bank account to own Bitcoin. I mean, I think that, and, and this, I, you know, you can theoretically buy Bitcoin from a friend and they can just send it to you from wallet to right. wallet. 
right? From hard drive to hard drive, right? I don't need to get my Bitcoin off of an exchange that if you're an American and you have the, you have a bank account and you have the capacity for that, it's the easiest way to do it. But you don't need a bank account. In fact, most people in El Salvador don't have bank accounts, but most of them have Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? And so this is really something unusual. I mean, it's like you can actually be truly divested from a system that's not working for you. Yeah. I think one thing that really helped me understand this is the comparison to media, right? Like if you, Mm. you know, before it's decentralized. Yeah. Decentralized is the key word. Yeah. That really helped me understand of like, you know, if you think of before the internet, you got your information from the Washington Post, the New York Times, a few publications. Yep where now everyone has equal access to information because of the internet. And yes. can you make that comparison with this? Yeah. So everyone used to get their information from the Washington Post. Now you can get your information from anyone that you want, right? So the, the internet, what the internet did was democratize information. What cryptocurrency is trying to do is democratize property, which is, I mean, think about how big that is. <laughs> like... And I think so the concept of decentralization basically yeah. means no central authority controls Bitcoin. And again, that scares people because I think people like the idea of the government being yeah. in control of the money. And, and like we talked about earlier in the episode, there may be benefits to that if you assume that the government is generally operating on your behalf. And who you are, you know, like what your background is, who exactly. they're able to... Gen- exactly. This is where it becomes like a real, like, in my opinion, like a justice movement is like my observation, not even my opinion. My observation is that the United States government generally operates differently towards rich white men and corporations than they do immigrant women and, you know, people living in developing countries. Yes, exactly. And right. So, (laughs) right. So Bitcoin, it's like if somebody in you know El Salvador owns Bitcoin and a hedge fund owns Bitcoin, their Bitcoin is the same, right? Like they're operating with the same rules. The hedge fund may have more money to buy Bitcoin, of course, right? But functionally speaking, right, we're all operating in the same playing field. Yes. There's not going to be like a Bitcoin money printer who's going to be like, oh, we're going to print money and literally give it to corporations. Like that can't happen in the land of Bitcoin. It's impossible because there's no one person who controls Bitcoin. Okay. So now we're starting to get a little bit into the technology. So why is Bitcoin decentralized? Bitcoin is decentralized because literally no one person, there's like hundreds of people, nobody controls Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a completely democratized technology. And this is where things start to get really techy and nerdy. And where I think folks probably is where they do get a, might get a little like held up in terms mm-hmm. of just like tech programmer language. You know, the way that Bitcoin works and verifies transactions is that transactions are verified by like hundreds of computers all around the world. They are not controlled by any individual group. Anyone with a computer can essentially, it's called like running a node, can run like a a node, which, and I'm going to screw this up. I'm going to get this wrong because this is even like super complicated for me. I'm just starting to learn about this. Can run a node that then participates in the Bitwork network and participates in the verification process and making sure that all of the transactions are fair and equal, essentially. Yeah. And so that is 
where we start to get into like, there's a technology called the blockchain that needed to be effectively invented on the internet in order for the system to occur. Right, which is essentially a ledger. So I, I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about only because I watched a 12-minute video. Again, I keep bragging. Please feel free to um, congratulate me for taking notes <laughs> on a 12-minute video that Isabel sent me. But it did really help because what I got from it, and I'll, I'll give this a go, the banks all have this ledger, right? That mm-hmm. keeps track of Isabel right. has an account and a checking account and a savings right. account. And right. I have my accounts and I have different banks and blah, blah, blah. That's not public. No one can, t- only the banks are in charge of that. We put all of our trust in the banks, right? Yeah. But Bitcoin, somehow on something called blockchain, that's the ledger, right. it's right. open for everyone to see. And at first, when I heard that, I was like, what the fuck? So everyone can see like my Venmo, because I have my Venmo on private because I don't like people to see who I'm paying and how much, because you can tell a lot about a person through that. And yeah. I, I know my friends went through and X's and you can tell a lot about what's happening. Right. So I I was like, what is that? But it's anonymous. You can see what goes where, when, but you don't know with whom. Right. So this ledger, your name isn't on the blockchain, your wallet address is on the blockchain, but like, you know, you could have a wallet that isn't connected to your name, isn't connected to your wallet. Right. Like you're the only person who knows which wallet is yours. Right. So I think we get into this next time, but just just so people have, you know, can walk away with this feeling a bit informed. One thing I asked you when we were speaking is like, okay, so now we know what blockchain is. It's this ledger. So then what is Bitcoin? And there's something called uh, Ethereum and there's like all these other ones. Like, can you explain that before we wrap? Yeah. I want to say before we get off, I hope I didn't totally butcher the technology piece of this because this is, again, also where I really struggle. So if anyone who's struggling with this, you're not alone. Yeah, I hope I didn't just like butcher anything that I just said. I feel like I could have screwed that up. But well, we can always either a, cut that out or fix it or well, you'll come back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, I don't but know enough. So to me, it sounded great. The, I think it's helpful. I think it is helpful to just like wrap this up by, you know, sort of talking about we've been talking about Bitcoin and Bitcoin is distinct from other cryptocurrencies in this like 21 million thing. And the way that it acts acts as the sort of digital gold. That is not necessarily the case with other cryptocurrencies. What other cryptocurrencies are basically is they looked at the technology that Bitcoin used to have this internet of value, right? So that I can send you stuff on the internet. And when I give it to you, I no longer have it, right? That's what matters about the blockchain, I think, also, is when I send you something... If I send you an email, I still have the email in my inbox. I basically just sent you a copy, right? But Bitcoin, when I send you Bitcoin over the internet, my Bitcoin, I lose my Bitcoin. Like It goes to you, I've now lost it, right? So I can literally send you something over the internet, which is such a like mind-blown kind of thing. This is why it's like, we used to, we're currently just living in the internet of information. All the internet as it currently, it does. All it does is sort of democratize information and make information readily available. But I can't send you stuff through the internet. I can't send you things through the internet. I'm always going to have a copy of whatever. I'm just sending you copies. With Bitcoin, if I send you Bitcoin, I lose my Bitcoin, which was is what is the technology that basically enables it to be money, right? In order for a monetary system online to exist, we need to get rid of this double spend problem, which means I can't just be if it, for a peer to peer monetary network that doesn't involve a banking intermediate in between. We need to deal with this. We need to have the technology, the internet technology, for me to be able to send you something directly over the internet and me no longer have it anymore. 
And that's what the blockchain effectively does. So the blockchain has allowed me to send value over the internet. So I no longer need to trust a bank. I no, no longer need to be like, hey, bank, can you please send Katie some of my money from my account to her account, all using your, your, your stuff? You know, like what we do now with Venmo and PayPal is I'm just telling the bank, hey, can you move some money from my account to Katie's account? With the blockchain, I can just send you money over the internet having nothing to do with the bank. Does this make sense? This part is really what helped me understand this. That part about the email yes. and deleting, like that really because my question to you, yes, which I wish I would have asked at the top, is how is this different than Venmo? And yes, it you know, how is this different than sending money through the banks? And right. we're cutting out the middleman here and we're allowing something to not exist, just like if I was sharing gold, I wouldn't have the gold anymore. And that's exactly. what the blockchain allows. The blockchain allows you to send property in digital form. So when I send it to you, I no longer have it anymore. I'm not just sending you a copy of something. I'm sending you something. And when I do, I, it leaves my hands. Yeah. So that is what enables there to no longer have to be an intermediary, a banking intermediary. And like, this is amazing. Like, this is incredible technology, right? So, what basically happened, and I think this is a good place to wrap up, but mm -hmm. after Bitcoin was invented, a bunch of people were like, well, why can't we do this? You know, Bitcoin only does it with money, really. Yeah. I mean, in theory, the Bitcoin network, you could develop other things on the Bitcoin network other than just money, but the Bitcoin network was really designed for moving money. What happens if you want to move art? What happens if you want to move contracts? What happens if you want to move other forms of property online and eliminate what's called this double spend problem where I'm not just sending you a copy, I'm actually sending you the thing. This changes the game of like intellectual property, for instance, on the internet, right? One of the biggest yeah. challenges with my career, and you've heard me talk about this before, is like, I write a blog post and then like a billion people effectively like use my blog post in different forms. And it doesn't really, you know, it's like hard to prove like that, that, you know, it's hard to like, well, maybe that's a bad example, but yeah, essentially yeah. it's, it's this idea of like being able to, being able to use this blockchain technology to move things that aren't just money, that aren't just Bitcoin currency. Yeah. So various other companies have come to be created. Ethereum is the biggest one, but there are several others. They're called like layer ones usually are what are, are sort of the blockchain systems where new types of blockchains are being created to functionally move different other kinds of property other than just Bitcoin or other than just money. One more thing. I, I love this. And one more thing that I think would be interesting to talk about, and I these might be related. So it felt really optimistic, right? Like the more I learn about this, it does feel very optimistic to me of having an invested interest in something to see it do well. And people who are getting into this, the example that was given about things like AOL going away or, you know, being afraid this is going to be something going away, but they were talking about people having an invested interest of like this in it together spirit that really resonated with me. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that because that, that optimism was another thing that really got me and is, you know, another positive place we could end. 
yeah, optimism. <laughs> yes, like optimism. I mean, it does. I mean, in Bitcoin, it does. A lot of the things we talk about are there is a lot of idealism with Bitcoin because this can get pushed so far. This could go to a place where you know the United States dollar is effectively replaced by Bitcoin. I mean, in like if you really push it far enough, that is a possibility for our universe. And even if we don't get to that stage. Bitcoin has already proven itself as a valuable store of value asset like gold. Bitcoin doesn't need to replace the dollar to be useful. It can just be like gold 2.0. It already is gold 2.0. It's already working like that. I don't even need to wait for it to operate like that. It already is that. Yeah. I don't need to hope that that's going to happen. That's already happened. This is really optimistic and interesting and cool. And I'm just grateful that we got to have a conversation about something that's really new to me and somewhat new to you and maybe a lot of people listening. And I think this is the first of many because I think we can go in many different directions with this and we're going to continue to learn more. But I think also just not leaning out of things that make us uncomfortable, whether it's um, learning about something new or developing a skill or having a tough conversation that's something that I'm trying to do in my life in the new year. And this is one of those things that instead of just being like, oh, figure that out later, or I don't want to be involved in my finances. You know, I had someone on early on to talk about finances and money and, you know, money being a stand in for what we value. And it was something even back then that I wanted to, I knew I wanted to be more involved in, but I also just was like, I don't have the capacity for this right now and just kind of pocketed it away somewhere. And, you know, the older we get, I think a lot of people have evolved with both of us in our work. And I'm so grateful for that. And a lot of people have come and gone and maybe there's new people. And I just think that talking about topics that are new to us feels perhaps uncomfortable in the beginning, but is, is this is how we grow, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I thought this was a great conversation. I feel that we could have easily jumped in and like not even prefaced it a million times by saying that this is like complicated and overwhelming because Me too. I feel like we did a great job. Yeah. I feel like we did a great job. <laughs> Me too. And this is the first of many and I had fun and I'm just grateful for you and I love talking to you and yeah, this was great. And people let us know your questions because I think another cool episode would be for yes. me to come back with more questions. You know, I want to talk about that. I have a million. I mean, I didn't even get to any of the questions that I had, like how it affects the environment. I have so many. So I yes. would love for people to submit their questions. Let, let's do this. If you like this, if you found value in this, if you were interested and this sparked you to want to learn more, let us know where you're at with this. And if you have any experience with this, and if you have any questions, and if we get a response from that, we'll do another episode and we'll bring Isabel back. I would love that. That sounds great. I'd be so curious to hear what people's questions are and what their thoughts are. And I'd be curious to hear like, you know, what you knew about Bitcoin before this conversation, if anything, and all of it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, cool. thank you for listening. I love you. Let's end with the let it out deep breath and you'll be back. Okay. Inhale. Much better. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want more clarification on anything we talked about, let us know. If you want to ask more questions and have Isabel come back and hear more about this topic, 
let me know. Let us both know. The emoji for this week's episode is the computer. So comment that on Isabel's Instagram, on my Instagram. Let it out. This podcast you're listening to has its own Instagram. It's at let it out with three T's. I would love for you to send me a message there. Tag let it out. Let us know where you're listening and I'll repost it. And it's a way we can create more community. And if you want to hear more about this topic, truly let me know there or elsewhere. I'm so grateful that you listened, that this might be new to you and you gave it a go. Or if you know a lot about this topic, you listen to a very, very intro conversation about it. That's pretty cool. I'm just grateful that you're listening at any point in time. If you're new to me and my work, I have some journaling workshops. I wrote a book about journaling a couple years ago and I run a creative clinic and I have a couple spots open in that. If you want to know more about any of those, the link is in the show notes. And if you want to get a short email from me, and by short, I mean, sometimes it's pretty long actually, but it always has all the links to everything we talked about here. It's called the let it out letter. And the link to sign up for that is in the show notes as well. And if you were hoping to hear Isabel talk about what she usually talks about, if you saw her name and you were hoping we were talking about body image and eating and food and the topics that she's more known for, I'm going to leave some episodes below where we have talked about those things. And I highly recommend her work in that area, which is not at all the topic of today's conversation, but as she said, not a huge departure in some ways. She was able to make a connection. Thank you again for being here. And I will talk to you with a brand new episode next week.